Good morning, church. Hey, welcome to church. So, so glad that you're here. My name is Glenn Griner, and I'm one of the pastors here at Union Chapel. So welcome to all of you in the room. Welcome to all of our friends joining us online. And you know, God's got something for you. There's a reason that you're watching this right now. There's a reason that you're sitting in this chair. God wants to draw you closer to himself. He wants to reveal more of himself to you. I'm so honored to be kicking off this brand new series called Gods at War. And it's a series about idolatry. Now we, I, I, we know that we all deal with idolatry, but it doesn't feel like that, does it? And because when I think about idolatry, I think back to those, those funky carved images, like with all kinds of different appendages and all craziness going on and, and all those weird names that we can hardly pronounce. And, and then there's those temples that they walk into. And, but when you take a little closer look, you realize that it hits a little closer to home than we think. You see, when they would make sacrifices to these idols, they're trying to control their livelihood because in one degree or another, you control the rain, you control your profit as a farmer. And also involved in helping, quote, bring the rain from these gods, uh, sex was a big part of their worship. And so all of a sudden we realize that, well, we can kind of identify with that, can't we? You know, we realize that idolatry isn't just for then and now, even though this is a modern culture. I mean, we've evolved so much, haven't we? It's so good to know that, that we don't have any problems with sexuality, do we? You know, you don't know anybody who's cheating on their spouse. That doesn't happen in our culture at all. In sexual problems, they're on the decline, aren't they? We don't have any issues with pornography or lust or, or seeing people in the wrong way. We, that's not an issue for us at all, is it? And we don't have any problems, you know, trying to get ahead. We don't have any problems, you know, trying to, you know, make money and worship money. That's not an issue for us, is it? You know, it's, and never mind the fact that America is one of the most prosperous countries and yet over half of us spend more than we make every single month. That's not an issue for us. Well, obviously, idolatry is an issue that we all, every single one of us deal with. That's our problem. And Joshua, he preaches this sermon. It's like the last sermon of his life. It's probably the most significant message that he preaches. It's in Joshua 24. And we're gonna take bits and pieces out of that this morning to help us understand our need for God and how we need to fight the idols that battle for the attention of our heart. So if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we will read Joshua 24. We'll start in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites and the land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. I say, no, imagine with me a man, he's been coughing. And a lot of you, you know what I'm talking about because you've got that bug that's been going around for the last couple of months. But he's been coughing, 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 coughing. In fact, he's coughing so bad, he has a sore throat. He's been coughing so bad, he can hardly hold a conversation and he can't sleep through the night. And some of you have experienced this. He's coughing so much that his abs hurt. That is not the way you want to get a six pack. That is not the way you're looking to do that. And so he hates going to the doctor, but finally he relents. He goes to the doctor. The doctor listens to his lungs. And then he takes some blood work and he's gone for a while. And then he comes back and he does 
a scan on, then another scan on him. And, and the doctor comes back in the room and with his head down a little bit and says, sir, uh, here's a prescription for some very, very powerful cough suppressant. You need to pick some of this up so that you can get some rest. And here's an envelope. And in this envelope is a referral to an oncologist because you have very, very serious lung cancer. And obviously this is devastating for this man. And so on the way home, he swings by the pharmacy, picks up that cough suppressant and man, it dries him up. I mean, his coughing slows down and the next day he hardly coughed at all. He slept through the night. He's feeling so much better. And he thought to himself, why in the world would I go to an oncologist? I'm feeling so much better. My cough is so much better. And then it hit me, it hit me because the real problem is cancer. It's not his cough. His cough is just a symptom. And for most of my Christian life, I focused on the symptoms. I focused on those stupid little sins and behaviors. And I think those sins or behaviors are the problems that I have, but the real problem I have is deeper, so much deeper, so much bigger. My real problem is idolatry. Idolatry is what is the cancer inside of me eating away at my soul. And it's the thing that causes these little things on the surface that we call sin, our problems with our behaviors. And so the real issue is deeper, much, much, much deeper. And so it becomes clear, there is a war going on. The gods are at war and their strength is not to be underestimated. These gods, they clash for the throne of your heart and so much, so much is it. It's at stake. Everything about me, everything about who I am, everything about my relationships, everything about my job, everything about my future depends on which gods I allow to win the war for my heart. Check out the statement on the screen. Every sin you're struggling with and most of the discouragement you're dealing with, even the lack of purpose you're living with is because of idolatry. And so imagine with me a woman, and I have lots of conversations with people about all kinds of different things. And so I'm not talking about you. <laughs> so imagine with me a woman, she comes and sits down in my office with a heavy sigh. And she talks about how she's feeling sad and depressed and lonely and empty. And then she finally shares, Glenn, I have an eating problem. And so I, I come to food and even when I'm not hungry and it just, it feels good when I eat. And so I feel better about myself and I, and it just feels good and I wanna feel better. And so I eat more and more and then I eat so much that I get sick to my stomach and then out it comes. And then after that, I'm not just sick to my stomach but I'm just sick of myself. If I only didn't have this eating problem. And yes, she has an issue with food but her real issue is idolatry. Her real problem is a worship problem. And I've had this conversation with more than one man, sits in my office and, and just tells me how he's struggling right now, just struggling. And he feels useless, feels worthless. I feel like a, a bad husband. I feel like a bad father. It's all because he got downsized when the company restructured. He's looking for work and can't find anything. And he thinks that he has an employment problem and he does, he does need a job. But his real problem, his real problem is much deeper than that his real problem is that he is worshiping his job and finding his identity from his job. And that my friends is idolatry. 
Which leads us to our first thought today, to understand that all of us are worshipers. You see, when you and I, we came off the assembly line, we were wired for worship. That's the engine in our hearts is worship. I mean, when Joshua starts off his sermon, he kind of gives like a multiple choice thing there. He said, you've got to make a choice in your lives. You can choose to worship the Lord, that's A. And then B, you can choose to worship the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates. Or C, you can choose to worship the gods of the Amorites, the people that you're living around. And then there, but there's no D. And we all know what D is. D is none of the above. And that's intentionally omitted because every single one of us worships someone or something, no matter who you are. And there's a lot of people in our world today, and maybe even some of you in the room, it's like, look, I don't worship anything. And so I'm not religious. And so worship doesn't apply to me. If you think I'm wired for worship, then you're just clueless. But the reality of it is worship is much bigger than that. We can't equate worship with religion. Yes, true religion involves worship, but the two aren't mutually exclusive. We worship all the time. Worship happens all the time in everyone's life. And sometimes it's directed at God and sometimes it's not. I want you to, maybe this definition of worship will help you. Check it out on the screen. Worship is the built-in human reflex to put your hope in someone or something and then chase after it. Now, whether or not you believe in worship uh, doesn't really matter, but advertisers know that you believe in worship because they make their products or services out to be our saviors. You know exactly how this works. Maybe you've got a health problem and you see this commercial come across the screen. You know, you've been having this issue. Call your doctor and tell them about this medication because your life will be so much better. And then they talk really fast and tell you how you're gonna get diarrhea and then you might die from it and all that other stuff. But call your doctor and tell them about this medication. And, here, and here's a funny thing that, have you ever noticed the advertisements that have to do with transportation? It doesn't have anything to do with getting from point A to point B, does it? It appeals to the worshiper inside of us. Maybe you can figure this one out. If you are a person who exudes love, if your life reflects love, you'll drive this car. Or, or maybe, maybe we'll shift gears a little bit. Maybe, uh, maybe you've arrived. You've got it going on. You've got life together. In fact, you are professional. You should be driving this. That has very little to do with transportation and a whole lot to do with worship. You see, worship happens all the time without religion. Um, I think uh, I heard that there's this uh, sport ball game happening tonight, just maybe, just maybe. Yeah, the Super Bowl's going on. And look, there's not gonna be any competition, it's okay, but that's going to be the biggest worship event that happens today, bar none. I mean, they've got a really, really big church and it's gonna be full of people. And some of them are gonna have their shirts off, their chest will be painted, and most of them will need to be wearing their shirts instead of being shirtless. But nonetheless, you know, they'll have their colors on, they'll be cheering and chanting, half of them will be really happy, half of them will be really sad. But my friends, that's worship, that's worship. Now I know we're here in Indiana and we love the Super Bowl, we love our football, but we really love our basketball because we know the madness is about to begin in a month and a half. And so we're gonna get our brackets out. We're gonna compete to see who wins and maybe just maybe some of you might place a bet or two. I won't know about, but we'll move on from that. We'll move on from that. And so it's so fun. It's so fun and it's great, but we know that that 
is worship, isn't it? It really is. Now, I hate to confess this, but as a church, we don't plan any big events during March Madness because we know there'll be about three of you who will come to it. (laughs) That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that in the right place. And so remember the woman who has the food problem? She's coming to food to fill her emptiness. And it only helps for a very short time. Only God can fill the emptiness in her heart. And the man with the employment problem, he's struggling to have his identity met by something that doesn't even know him, something that doesn't even love him. Something that can change in an instant. Or think about the man or the woman who struggles with sex, whether it's pornography or sleeping around or whatever it may be. And they're coming and they're trying to find connection. They're trying to find pleasure and, they're, and it keeps letting them down every single time. And so the question isn't really, am I going to watch pornography? The real question is, am I going to worship sex or am I going to worship God? Am I going to worship food or am I going to worship the Lord? And so we've got to get to the root of our problem. We've got to see our motivations for the things that we do. So idolatry, it's not just one sin of a whole bunch of others. It's like the big mama of all sins. That's where every single sin comes from. Idolatry is the issue in our lives. And it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. Which leads us to our second thought today. And you've got to prepare yourself for war. And so I know that the Christian life is going to be challenging and that there's different aspects of it that are gonna be hard, but deep deep in my mind, I have this expectation that my life is going to be easier because I'm following Jesus. And so when I read the words of Christ and he says, take up your cross and follow me. And I say, yes, Lord, how about to the beaches of Florida? You know, yeah, that sounds really good about right now, doesn't it? Sure does. But you see, when I choose God, I expect things to go better. And when things get hard, I can get mad at God. Maybe this is true for you. God, what's going on? Why are you letting this happen? I can't believe this is happening in my life. Well, you see, this isn't heaven right now. And if I'm really honest, I would never say this out loud. If I'm really honest, I expect God to make a little heaven out of my life right here and now. And God never promised to make a little heaven right here. But heaven is coming. I mean, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, he's going to break through the skies and the skies are going to peel apart and the heavenly host is going to appear. And there's going to be worship and shouts and praise like we can't imagine. In fact, the dead people are gonna rise up out of the ground and we who are still alive are gonna meet the Lord in the air. And then we're coming back to this world and Jesus is going to make a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. And we're not going to need the sun because the light and the love and the power of God are gonna be so overwhelming that we won't need anything else. You know, there won't be any marriage in heaven because every single relationship is going to be so close, so perfect, so meaningful and so fulfilling that even the intimacy of marriage pales in comparison. And here's another thing about heaven. You know, every body will be made perfect in heaven. And the older I get, the more excited I get about having a brand new body. But here's this, when you think about every perfect relationship in heaven, that sounds pretty awesome. Ever think about this? There won't be any awkward moments in heaven. You know how this works. You walk into the room, it's like, there's that person. 
I think I left something in the car. I'll be back after a little bit. That'll never happen in heaven. Not once. Not once. And no matter who your abuser or accuser might be, that's washed away. Oh my goodness. Now that's when heaven is. And until then, we have a war to fight, my friends. As I mentioned, this is Joshua's final speech, his final sermon. This may be his most famous quote, his challenge to the people of Israel. And I can almost guarantee you that there's many of you in this room here today, you have this statement hanging on your door. Maybe it's even engraved on your door knocker. Maybe it's hanging above your doorbell or sitting on your mantle. I know there was one in my grandparents' house and I've got a copy of it sitting on the shelf in our house. And it says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what an awesome challenge. And Joshua is leading by example. And the people of Israel, they say, yes, we choose to serve the Lord. Thank you for leading us, Joshua. And then Joshua kind of yanks the rug out from underneath them. If you read on after this passage, he says, no, you can't serve the Lord. You can't do it. And they're going, what? Yes, we can. He said, no, if you choose to serve God, then turn your back on him. It's gonna be worse for you than it was before. You can't serve the Lord. And they said, no, we stand as witnesses against ourselves and before the Lord that we choose to serve God. Now, the middle of Joshua's speech, it's not going to make it into motivational speaking 101. So is Joshua really trying to talk the people of Israel out of following God? No, but he wanted them to come face to face with the war that they're gonna be fighting, with the challenges that come with fully submitting yourself to God. The point is, it won't be easy. The point is, we've got a fight on our hands. I want you to see this statement on the screen. Over the course of your life, you will face more spiritual warfare over your connection with Jesus than anything else. Now you think it's about your sins and your attitudes and all that kind of stuff. No, Satan is after your connection with Jesus. We think our problems are our sins and the bad things that we do, but the real betrayal happens when we take our attention and our love off of Jesus and stick it somewhere else. That's where the real problem is. And the sin is just a symptom of those things. That's the devil's number one job. So get ready. The fight is on. Now I had one of those aha moments when I was studying the scripture. And, uh, but before I get to that, I'm gonna take a little commercial break here. We'll do a true false question. So true or false, uh, jealousy is bad. Well, that's easy, true. Jealousy is bad. We've learned that from our childhood. We know, I mean, we know jealousy is bad. We know that. Which leads us to point number three is that God is jealous. Like, uh-oh, we're in trouble here. Houston, we have a problem. I mean, it literally says in verse 19, he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And this theme is repeated all throughout scripture. All throughout scripture, God is described as a jealous God, but we can't take the bad version of jealousy and overlay it on God. I want you to, just, I want you to see Exodus 34, 14. And it says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. I mean, God gave himself this name. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to posters and songs that have to do with the name of God, jealous never makes the list. It doesn't make the cut. 
I mean, we celebrate the names of God. It brings inspiration to us. He's our King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the omnipotent one. He's our savior, our redeemer. He's the lover of our souls. He is our groom. He's our heavenly father. He's our peace, our stronghold, our fortress. And he is jealous. What? What? <laughs> what? And so this is a barrier to so many people. When you think about the jealousy of God, you can kind of tend to overlay the, the petty Greek gods, you know, the Greek gods, you know, Zeus and all of, all of his crew. They're basically spoiled children with superpowers. And we can't take that and overlay it on God, the God of the universe who loves us so much. Maybe this will help you. Imagine that I'm jealous of my wife, Leslie. So when she's not around, I'm wondering, what the heck is she doing? And so I'm petty, I'm illogical, I'm manipulative. And I think it's because I love her, but that's not true at all. It's all about me. It's all about the way I can control her. And so if I'm jealous of her, I'm checking her texts. I'm reading her emails. Always suspicious of her. And God is not like that. That is not God at all. Maybe this will help you. Uh, I want you to think of God being jealous for. Imagine if I'm jealous for my wife, Leslie. You see, if I'm jealous for her, I want what's best for her. If I'm jealous for her, she comes before me. I'm more concerned about her than myself. And so when we're not together, I just would really wish we were together. I'd rather be hanging out with her. I like sitting next to her. I like, I like spending time with her. And so when we're not together, instead of checking our texts and emails and worrying about her, I'm thinking about how can I help her? How can I bless her? So maybe I'll start dinner. Maybe I'll clean up something. Maybe I'll help the kids with their homework. Okay, so I'm not helping the kids with the homework. That's not my department. They've, they're way beyond, way beyond dad's help in that, in that area. But you get the point. You get the point. And this was the aha moment for me in the Hebrew language. In the Bible, which is what the Old Testament was written in, the word for jealous and the word for zealous is the same word. The same word. So jealousy and zealousy are literally interchangeable in scripture. And when you think about zeal, you think about passion, you think about desire, you think about singular focus, you think about, about energy and motivation and love. That's the way that God thinks about you. God is zealous for you. In Deuteronomy 4.24, it says that for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. And for most of my life, I thought the consuming fire of God was his wrath and his judgment against sin and his wrath and his judgment over my failures and shortcomings in my life because he's so jealous. But that's the wrong kind of fire the fire that burns in God's heart, the fire that consumes him is love for you. God's love for you burns hotter than a billion suns. God's love for you is so great that he knows every single detail of your life. He knows every single hair on your head. He even knows every single hair that's fallen off of my head. And that's pretty impressive. Not only that, God knows every detail about you and he was very attentive to you when you were being formed in your mother's womb. God was even thinking about you before the creation of the world. And God's zeal for you, his passion for you is so great that he sent his son, Jesus, out of the perfection and joy of heaven to become a person 
so that he could experience the pain that you experience. So he could be tempted like you're tempted so that he could suffer like you suffer. And it gets even better than that. Jesus literally became sin for you. Every failure, every shortcoming, every rebellious thought or inkling in your heart, Jesus paid for that. He died on the cross and he descended into hell and took the wrath that you and I deserve from the devil himself. And he did that all, not just so that you don't have to go to heaven when you don't have to go to hell when you die, but so that he can have a supernatural, intimate connection with you that lasts for all eternity. So now when I hear that God is a jealous God, I say, thank you, Jesus. When I think about God's zeal and his passion for me, it inspires me to choose him above those temptations. And so the last fill in the blank for number three is this, God is jealous for me. And maybe some of you have a hard time believing this. Scratch out me and write your name in there. Just write your first name in there because God is jealous for you. He wants what's best for you. He has your interest at his heart. That's how he thinks about you. And when we look at the amazing zeal and love of God, we can't help but number four, make a worship choice today. I love the verb tense that Joshua uses. And he says, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. He's saying, I chose, I'm choosing, and I will continue to choose to serve the Lord. And you must make the choice to worship God every single day, every single day. Now, just like Dave Ramsey says, uh, you know, he's our financial peace guru. You can't save next month's paycheck this month. You can only save this month's paycheck. Wouldn't it be great if I could lay out my week and make every single choice I need to for my week. I'm decide when I'm gonna to go to bed, when I'm gonna wake up, decide what my exercise routine is going to be, what I'm gonna eat, how I'm gonna spend my time. And I can just lay out my entire week. I can make all my choices for this week right now. Can't do that. You've gotta choose for yourselves every single day. And so sometimes we get in this room and we sense God's presence. I hope you felt his love and the warmth of his spirit as we were singing and worshiping God. Or maybe God's speaking to you right now, but then Wednesday rolls around and Sunday feels like it was like three months ago because we have to make that choice every single day. No exceptions, no exceptions. And sometimes we get caught in this lie thinking that, well, if I was just like Pastor Greg, I would just like fly above all this mess and it would just be automatic for me. Or maybe you can think of Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or maybe someone you respect a whole lot. And look, it's never automatic. Every single one of us, we have to make that choice every single day to put God first. So if we're gonna choose for ourselves, we've gotta make that choice for us. And I know um, there might be some glares in the room when I say this, but I, I realize that every week there's people sitting in this room and you're here because somebody made you come. It's okay. I mean, I know, I know parents make their children come. I know that happens. Uh, just maybe happens every now and then. Uh, or maybe, maybe your boyfriend made you come. Or maybe your wife made you come. And that's okay. You're here. Let me just challenge you. Experience God. Experience his love and his grace. But see, if we're gonna choose to follow God, we've gotta make that choice ourselves. I know 
Your mom and your grandma love God, love Jesus and prayed for you, but they can't make that choice for you. You've got to make the choice yourself. And the God of the universe is offering a continual invitation for you to choose him, to experience him and grow in your love for him. And so choosing this day means that we appreciate what God has done. In verses like two to 13, Joshua recounts all these amazing things that God did as he delivered the people of Israel from the Egyptians and how he kept them alive and provided for all of their needs as they wandered the wilderness and gave them the place that they are living right then and right now. But you can also look in scripture as well and see how God has come through. And you can also even look in the history of our church on all the ways that God has come through for our church. But the best thing for you to do is to look back at your life because every good and perfect gift comes right from God. That means even if you hate God, he's putting good things in your life because he loves you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And you can look back at that and that helps thankfulness and joy rise up inside of your heart. And then we recognize who God is. We recognize his love for us. It has this transforming, energizing power inside of us to help us choose him above the temptations that we face. And the closing comes in chapter 24, verse 23 and 24. And check out these words on the screen. Now then said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And this word for put away, it's, it's an aggressive word. It means to strip away, to pull away, to push away. And realize that as we dethrone the idols in our lives, we do that by enthroning God, by enthroning Jesus and putting him in his rightful place in our hearts and in our minds. Idols are not removed. They are replaced. If you're obsessing on removing an idol and you're not focusing on replacing it, it's, you're running up against a brick wall. And so the answer to this problem is our worship of Jesus and laying ourselves before him with all that we are. So what is God's biggest competition for your heart? What are your idols? Here are a few questions that might help you out. What idols have you picked up from your family and friends? Now, food is a big deal, maybe in your family. And when you say comfort food, I get it. I get it. I mean, that's, that's part of who we are as a family. And so when we celebrate with food, when, you know, life's challenging, you grab food. And so I, I get that. I get that. You know, maybe your mom or your grandma worried all the time. They just worried about this. Thought, I'm not going to do that. And here you are <laughs> struggling with worry <laughs> and you're trying to control that. And it's like, or maybe your family's crazy competitive and that competition is fun. It's great. It's a lot of fun. But when you identify yourself as a winner or loser based on the outcome of the competition, then you've lost perspective. And here's something that we all deal with. Our culture is so into instant gratification. And we don't want to wait for anything. We're so impatient. And in fact, you know, just as good as I do, that you can make a decision based on your heart in an instant that will change the trajectory of your life for the negative. You can ruin your life with one simple little stupid choice that felt good in the moment. We can't live by our feelings. Maybe this question will help you. 
What are you most disappointed with? Because our disappointments show where we've put our hope and where we have put our hope reveals our God. And here's an easy one. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? And I wanna challenge you to, uh, to just log on. Log on to your account. Maybe you're old school. You know, you actually have this like paper statement. Open the envelope and pull out the paper and look at every single expenditure you have. And I don't make excuses or anything, but just what does this say about me? What does this say about what's important to me? And then maybe, uh, maybe look at your calendar. Now I can't look at my calendar because I don't like say watch TV for three hours tonight. You know, I don't, that's not in my calendar, but walk through your day hour by hour. What does that say about what's important to you? How does that reflect what you worship? And maybe, maybe this question will help you. Where do you go when you're hurt? Because where we go for comfort reveals an honest, honest moment of worship. Mark my words, friends. Every single idol in your life represents a need that only God can truly fill. And we need to come to him for those things. So I wanna challenge you to get beneath the surface. Look beyond your sin and your failure to the deepest needs of your heart whom only God can fill. And we'll talk about this some next week as well. But I think the fruits of the spirit, I want you to think of the fruits of the spirit kind of like a cycle. Love is the very first thing because that's most important. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we can think that self-control is last because it's the least important. But I think that self-control is last is because it points us back to love. The whole purpose of self-control is so that you can experience more of God. Because when you say no to the temptations of this world, when, when you push back away from those things that you do want and you choose God, it expands your ability to receive more of him. You have more of God in your life. You have more of his joy and more of his strength and more of his peace in your life. And that's what we all really, really want. I wanna invite the band to come up here as we take this time and bring it into a close. It can be kind of confusing for us. And like, what does God want me to do? Well, he wants something much bigger than just an action from us. Check out this on the screen. God wants our hearts to burn with zeal for him. You see the same jealousy that God has for you, that same fire that burns hotter than a billion suns in his heart, that same love that he has for you, he wants you to reflect back to him. He wants you, he wants you to chase after him with all that you are. Because the more of your life is focused on him, the more of him will be in your life. The more your life is less about you and the more it's about Jesus, the more of his joy you'll be able to experience. And the alternative is true. If our life is all about us, even if our following Jesus is all about us, it decreases our joy. It decreases how we're able to experience his goodness and his love. And you can see that these idols, they must fall. So there's a worship war happening in us. Who will win? We have a zealous God who continually wants to fill us with passion and love. And when we choose God above all other things, we experience more of him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? 
Before we pray, I just want to challenge you to think a little bit. What idols in your life won't go away? What's the greatest competition for the throne of your heart? Maybe it's pleasure, success, power, recognition, control. And I want you to go there. I want to challenge you in your heart just to, just to face that temptation and say, God, sometimes I want this more than I want you. It's okay to have an honest moment with God. And so Jesus, forgive me for not knowing what I really need, for wanting what I don't really want. And so God, change my heart. Make me new. I confess my sin to you right now. And I receive your renewing, your cleansing love. And together, Jesus, we choose to serve you. We choose to serve you above our selfishness. We choose to serve you above those things that we've gone to for pleasure and power and identity. And we find ourselves in you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And so Lord, make our hearts jealous. Make our hearts jealous for you. Let worship flow through our spirits as we choose to make you Lord and King and reign supreme in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We adore you. Help us lose our selfishness in your glorious presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.